You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We are continuing our conversation in our leadership series with Bishop Hardy today. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for supporting The Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live Uncommon. Joining us today, the Reverend Dr. Jameson Hardy. He's Bishop of the English District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and also author of Pastoral Leadership, a new book from Concordia Publishing House. Bishop Hardy, welcome back to The Coffee Hour. Great to be with you. We are continuing this series on leadership and also following along in your book, which brings us, I believe, to chapter five this week. And today we're going to talk about learning about mistakes, learning from mistakes as a leader. I've learned about plenty of mistakes and had plenty of mistakes of my own, but I want to talk about yours today too. Have you had, you know, any mistakes in in your your life as a pastor and now as a bishop? Yeah, no, there's, they're too numerous to account for and to discuss publicly. I can say this to you that I have learned the greatest life lessons in my failures as both a pastor and a leader. I've also stared the face of temptation. And when I say that, I don't let your minds wander. I've stared in the face of temptation to wither under the vine, to simply succumb to any number of, of pressures to come out on the other end and just see the great mercy and care of God that even for the leader is is as true as it is for the the people of God that that we serve. And I I think that is really the important part here. You know, pastors are put in positions often where they have to be nimble on their feet. And sometimes in their nimbleness they make a mistake. They say something wrong. I'll give you a quick example. This was early on in my career, my first year one of my beloved members, Herb Volts, who I've buried since pastorally, who's went to the Lord. Herb was a single man, 78 years old, and I was teaching on Job, right out of the seminary. And in my mind, this concept that God took everything from Job. So I started teaching that, and he got mad during the Bible class, and he said, God didn't take his wife. He was right. I mean, the biblical text is very clear. Uh, God did not take Job's wife. He took he took health. He took his children. He took wealth. And so I'll never forget, Herb corrected me during Bible class, and I was mortified. I was mortified. But again, in my mind, I had just remembered this I'm flowing teaching, blurted this out. Now, I mean, I think ultimately most of the people in the room, you know, they knew that what I said wasn't true, I misunderstood it or I said it wrong, they weren't going to call me on the carpet and embarrass me. But Herb, he didn't have any problem with that. Oh, he wanted me to know. And he he did it in somewhat of an aggressive way. And, and you know, I really quickly um, just kind of humbled myself. I asked for forgiveness. And I think to the point, one of the greatest things a pastor who makes a mistake can do is to admit and ask for forgiveness. According to the biblical standard, the people of God can no longer hold it against you once they've offered you the forgiveness won by Christ on the cross. And I tell this to seminarians, you're going to make mistakes. And when you do, admit it, apologize, receive the absolution, and now they can't hold it against you. It's really a great thing. Confession and absolution is a beautiful thing in, in any circumstance. 
Speaking of of Job, biblical characters, where do we learn in scripture about dealing with mistakes as a leader? I'm sure I'm sure there's examples in scripture of leaders who made mistakes in uh, in some of our biblical stories. Yeah, I mean Jonah comes to mind. Mm. Uh, Jonah comes to mind from the standpoint that as a biblical leader, God God gave him this path forward to go to Nineveh. He ran from it. He got swallowed by a big fish and God spat him out on the shores of Nineveh. I think that is a, a dramatic. I mean, it's one of the most dramatic. You could also talk about Peter and his denial of knowing Christ in the night when he was betrayed. Only hours before drawing the sword, you know, drawing the sword and lopping off the ear of the centurion. And again, there's there's countless examples of this. Uh, but I want to I want to take a second to talk about the one example that a lot of people like to talk about Jesus being disrespectful to his parents, and that is when he was 13, he stayed and he taught in a temple. Mom and dad, Mary and Joseph, went on their way caravanning back. You know, today we would never allow our children to go with relatives without having them connected at our hip. But back then they they're they're with Aunt Susie, you know, and and, and for days would go by and and they're with Aunt Susie. When they realized that Jesus was not with them, they went back. And, and we know the story, right? He was teaching the elders in, in, in the temple. But the point is this, that in that case, Jesus's answer to Mary was profound. He said to Mary, do you not know I am in my father's house doing my father's work? I mean, how does Mary, the mother of Jesus, answer that sarcastic teenager with that answer? There's no, you know what I mean? You can talk about Peter, Jonah, Abraham, talk about them all. But here Jesus, in some respects, is using the factual answer to his mother. But to any one of us whose kids said that same sentence to us, they'd be, you know, sarcastic and rude. And yet Jesus was being simple. Mother, did you not know I'm in my father's house doing my father's work? And it wasn't a disrespectful thing that Jesus was doing. It was the work of the church. And so I think sometimes pastors must come to grips with the fact that they're going to make a mistake and people might even be very upset about it, but again, humble themselves in the sight of God and, and they shall be forgiven. And this is, you know, the repetitive point. What, what, what people mean for harm, the Bible says, God will make for good, you know, and, and we know this, this is the, this is the Joseph story, right? Mm -hmm. Here we are. Joseph is in Egypt. He's gone through the Potiphar situation. He's been in jail. He's interpreted the Pharaoh's dream. He's got the seven fat years, the seven lean years. His brothers and father now are those coming to Egypt to get grain because of the famine. And he says to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And I think that's one of the things I tell myself all the time whenever I get into a situation where people can't let go of my mistakes, even though I've asked them to forgive it. Because what people mean for evil, God will always use for good. What about that person who just always is looking for the mistake or they're just perpetually unhappy? How do you lead or respond to that person who is just the perpetually unhappy person? Yeah, it's difficult, Andy. I mean, I, I, can't, I don't want to give the impression that it's easy. But I think constantly meeting that person with happiness and joy with gratefulness and mercy is the only way. And there are those perpetually unhappy people. And sometimes they need just a swift kick in the rear at. I mean, 
the law has its place for everyone, including the servants of the church. And I think ultimately, if a person is going to allow themselves to remain right in this perpetually unhappy, unthankful space, the law of God must be given. I and mean, it's just that simple. In my pastoral life, I've had a few of those people who are perpetually, you know, grouchy. And so how do I deal with them? I like to make fun of them. And when I say making fun of them, I'll give you an example. I had a, I had a blessed woman, a very talented woman that every time I saw her, she just had a frown on her face and, and she was always grouchy. And so I would always greet her. How are we doing, Oscar? That's what I called her. I called her Oscar. She picked up on it. Now, I had a good relationship with this woman. I had a great relationship and she knew I could always get her to smile whenever I called her Oscar from Sesame Street. Oscar. <laughs> And it's so, you know, you got to know your people well enough. You can't just go up to a stranger and call him Oscar, you see. But I worked with her a lot. And, and so, by, you know, it took me about a year, year and a half. But at the end of it, whenever she'd come near me, it got to the point where I never even had to say Oscar anymore. I just looked at her and she would smile at me. And I think it's just that perpetual meet it with kindness, constantly remind about goodness. And at some point, they can't remain grouchy. I mean, it, it, you just, you can't remain grouchy. And I've also had the opposite, by the way. I've had the people that are just absolutely perpetually happy where I've had to say to them, you can't simply be that happy all the time. You know? and, and, and they're just, they're just very bubbly and happy people. So it, it, it's, it's a work. I think that's the answer. It's, it's a work. It's a labor of love. And, and we should never give up on those perpetually grouchy people. What does that speak about building relationships? I mean, we're talking about the, the character of the leader and how that leader relates to other people, but your stories are, are making me think of those relationships that leaders will build over time with their people. What, how, how does that relationship building play into, especially dealing with unhappy people or conflict or, or all of these maybe more negative things? Yeah, and I think that, that, Sarah, is the absolute point. Relationship building and having a relationship with somebody and the story I previously told, I knew this woman very well. And, and I knew how far I could go with kind of teasing her by calling her Oscar. And, and, and she made the mistake of smiling the first time I said it. So, so I knew that in the future I could get away with it, meaning I could, I could push the buttons and, and, and say that. And I also think that a, a pastor must come to grips with this reality. Criticism will come, rest assured. And if, if a pastor can't come to grips with that, then they're going to have a very difficult time being a successful leader and a leader at all. Um, I talk about in the book, loving the unlovable. Now, I don't know about you, but everybody has unlovable people in their life. You asked about the grouchy person. They're everybody, if you look deep enough in your life, you're going to have somebody who can come to your mind and it's going to be, it's going to be your Oscar or your unlovable person who is perpetually grouchy and mad and, and just get on the list. And again, I think for most of God's people, the unlovable are the ones that need the most love. They're the ones that need the most attention. And for a pastor, and this goes back to what I was talking about on, on the last episode, and that is, you know, pastors must be in it for the long haul. 
because lay people don't understand that their behavior in some respects chips away at pastors. One of the greatest vocations in this world is being a pastor. One of the toughest vocations in this world is being a pastor. How can those two things be co-equal? Well, they are, and they are because we deal with unlovable people. We deal with people who have no ability sometimes to understand that their own behavior is both offensive and hurtful to others. And so that's, that's just the way it goes. And I think you got to just be ready for that. We are talking leadership today, taking a look at, at learning from mistakes and not being overwhelmed from mistakes and relationships as well. Our guest is Reverend Dr. Jameson Hardy, Bishop of the English District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. We'll continue the conversation in just a moment right here on The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live uncommon. Welcome back to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We are talking leadership with Reverend Dr. Jameson Hardy, Bishop of the English District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and author of Pastoral Leadership from Concordia Publishing House. Right, so we're talking about learning from mistakes and not being overwhelmed from mistakes and talking about forgiveness for leaders as well. Why is it important to, to practice forgiveness and how can this be a beautiful thing? Yeah, you know, here's something that that, that really has been a part of my leadership life and my life in general as a pastor. If there's one thing I can guarantee you it's going to happen in your life and in the life of any Christian person is you are going to be betrayed at some point. And 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 anybody who thinks that they'll never be betrayed has not read the scriptures, has not paid attention to history, and loving in the face of betrayal is that which Christ himself shows to Judas to Peter and go down the list. And, and I think for a good pastoral leader, a successful pastoral leader, he must understand that he's going to be betrayed and that betrayal sometimes is going to be intentional. Sometimes it's going to be unintentional, but often you must love in the face of that betrayal. And that's very difficult for us. As I said previously, you know, Jesus healed the ear of the centurion that Peter lopped off in the garden to defend Jesus. Later on, Peter betrayed him. That didn't stop Jesus from carrying out his mercy work. It didn't stop Jesus from ceasing to move forward in the salvific plan of, of the Father, that is to say, to, to save the world. And so for any good, effective pastoral leader, loving in the face of betrayal and pain is what we're called to do. It's not easy, but it's what we're called to do. When a pastor is called to do that and maintain this posture of compassion and care, is there 
Is there work that that pastor has to do on their own in order to be able to do this for other people? Because you're right, that is a, a very hard thing to do if you're constantly met with criticism and constantly having to have that posture of compassion. What does a pastor have to do themselves to be able to continue to do that faithfully? Yeah, I think number one, a good pastoral leader must have self-care. That sounds a little bit silly for me to say that about pastors because we're spending our entire career caring for others. But a pastor must have self-care. And when I first started dating my wife, I, I said to her, and she, she still recounts this, and, and she sometimes chuckles and says she should have known better 25 years ago when I said this, but I believe it, and I believe it in my heart. And that is, there's a very thin line between confidence and cockiness. Mm. And, and I think a good leader must have a certain level of confidence. And when I say the word confidence, I want to be clear. I'm not talking about cockiness. And, and there is a big difference. Having, having confidence in the gifts and talents that God has given you, whatever they may be, because they're varied and they're different among all the clergy. I think in my own case, one of the, the greatest things God could have ever let me do is discover wrestling. Um, I had success in wrestling. Uh, I went on to college and had success in wrestling. October of 2021, I was inducted to the CUW Hall of Fame for wrestling. And so, my, my life in the wrestling realm has really played a huge part in my life in my pastoral realm. Because one of the things about wrestling that it'll teach you if, you, if you don't know this, is you win, you win. If you lose, you lose. There's no blaming anybody. It's one-on-one. -on -one. Two men enter, one man leaves, right? I mean, Victor. When I played football in high school and college, I could blame the running back, the quarterback, the wide receiver, my fellow lineman. I could blame other people, but wrestling taught me that it's, I'm the only one to blame if something goes wrong. And, and I think for, for good pastoral leaders, having that small bit of confidence, and that's why I say that a pastors must have self-care. If you're not spending time in prayer and, and with others that lift you up, you will only be consumed with those who tear you down. I don't care what level of leadership you have from President Harrison, the synodical president, or a small church pastor like I was coming out of seminary to a church of 30. It doesn't matter. Criticism hurts no matter how good of a leader you are. And every pastor has the scars to prove what I'm talking about. The difference is those pastors that become successful, those pastors that become good leaders are those men who allow those scars to happen and not live by those scars, but live with those scars. And, and I think for me, that's the defining difference between being successful and not being successful. Guys that I deal with who live by the scars they have often never are successful. Guys that I have that live with the scars of ministry are the absolute most successful men that I have. And I've tried to model my own pastoral life with that same mentality in play. I live with scars, not by scars. What does the Eighth Commandment have to do oh. with the, the, the criticism and conflict one experiences as a leader? That's a, it's a great question. I, I have too many pastors that go to the Eighth Commandment as a defense mechanism against criticism. The Eighth Commandment is clear. You should not bear false witness against the neighbor. There's just no doubt about it. Put the best construction on everything. 
But guys that jump to the Eighth Commandment as a defense mechanism forget one important thing. The accusation of the violation of the Eighth Commandment doesn't change what has already been said. And, and I think that's the key, right? That's the key. Too many guys ignore wholesale what somebody says because it might be, quote, unquote, a violation of the Eighth Commandment. I also think that when somebody violates the Eighth Commandment and trying to get a point across, too much time can be emphasized on the Eighth Commandment violation, which it is. It is. And, and no time be paid to what is said. And I think that's part of the deal. There's, there's truth in almost every single thing said, even, even a violation of the Eighth Commandment. And, and the Eighth Commandment says, put the best construction on, on everything. Well, what is the best construction? Sometimes the best construction is my wife telling me I was a little sour during my liturgical performance today. And, and by the way, that example that I've been using, I, I remind her, I don't need her to tell me that. I know it intuitively when I make a mistake. It, that, that right there, Andy, is the point about the Eighth Commandment. Most of the time, whatever's being done to violate the Eighth Commandment, the person who's being violated against already has the knowledge that what they've done is, is not good or right. And so it's kind of a double-edged sword. There's a violation of the Eighth Commandment and hurt and pain that's bestowed, not just from the violation, but a piling on, per se, of what is already real. Talking about those Eighth Commandment violations and and we've already covered repentance and forgiveness, what is that best-case scenario coming out on the other side of, of something that maybe is a, a major thing in a church a major conflict that happens, what does that reconciliation look like on the on the other side, uh, maybe in the middle of when conflicts happen? Well, let's be clear about reconciliation. When true reconciliation happens, there's nothing more beautiful in the church when forgiveness is bestowed as God commands and provides through his life, death, and resurrection. In my time as parish pastor, as well as bishop, I've, I've seen this happen. I've, I've seen it in my, in my presence, in front of my own eyes, and it's overwhelming in a positive way. Again, for me, it's, it's not easy, but it's, it's necessary to go to those you know you've hurt, to go to those you know you've caused pain or difficulty to and, and acknowledge it. Too often we want people to come to us and tell us what we've done to hurt them, we don't spend enough time realizing we've hurt someone and being the actor in trying to reconcile. On the flip side, when there's a refusal to reconcile, I have one of those going on right now with a pastor in a congregation, it continually escalates because every step that the other person takes is to one-up the step of the previous person. So when there's a lack of reconciliation, it becomes a game of who can hurt who more, deeper, harsher. And that's just not healthy in any relationship, let alone a leadership relationship. With just about a minute left, anything else about learning from mistakes as a leader that you'd like for us to know today? Yeah, look, criticism will come when you least expect it. That's a simple reality. And I think... It's, it's how you react to it. It's how you react to the criticism. It's how you react to the, the harshness of somebody. It's how you react, I think, simply, 
which can define whether you're a good leader or not a good leader. You can find pastoral leadership at Concordia Publishing House, cph.org. Our guest today, the Reverend Dr. Jameson Hardy, Bishop of the English District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thanks for being our guest in this series. Looking forward to next time. Thank you. You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support The Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you. Anytime. Anywhere. Anywhere.